Welcome back to another episode of Yelling About Star Trek. My name is Christian Fox, and this is the show where I yell at you about all things Star Trek for your amusement, so I'm not yelling at my friends and family who don't want to hear my thoughts and theories on this fantastic franchise. Today, I want to talk about phaser fights and explore why I think phaser fights in TNG and Voyager don't look that great. In fact, I think they look pretty horrible. But before I get into all of that, make sure you get out of your space pajamas, put on your shiniest pair of boots, get a cup of coffee, get a cup of tea, maybe some iced tea if you want to pull the archer maneuver, and brace for impact because things are about to get nerdy. Star Trek has a lot of great things, which is why I do the show. If I didn't think Star Trek had good stuff, I wouldn't be talking about it as much as I do. But it does. However, there are some things that it doesn't really excel at. And I would say for the most part, Star Trek doesn't really excel in the phaser fight department. And specifically, I think it's worse in TNG and Voyager because I think later seasons of DS9 get really good at phaser fights. The movies are much better and Enterprise is incredible when it comes to that. Discovery, I think, is also really good, but I don't want to get too much into Discovery because, again, I don't know it like I know other Star Trek, which I know like the back of my hand. So I won't really focus on that, but Enterprise, I think, probably excels the most when it comes to phaser fights, especially if we're looking at the TV series. But today I want to talk about TNG and Voyager and share some theories that I have as to why I don't think they look that great. And these are the plot constraints, the lack of technical consultants, and finally, the overall look of the phaser. The first thing I want to talk about are plot constraints, specifically in TNG and Voyager. And there are a lot of episodes where there's a bad guy who's up to no good, but then the plot happens because the bad guy is able to get away and the security team can't capture them or the good guys basically can't take them down. And that's why the plot happens. And the best example that I can think of comes from the TNG season seven episode, Gambit part one. And that is the episode where Riker and Picard are captured by mercenaries and they basically have to pretend to be mercenaries and have to act super hardcore and not like Starfleet so they don't give their identities away. But in the first part, Riker, Worf, and Jordy, I think, and then some other random gold shirts and, of course, people on Worf's security team all beam down to this planet. Uh, they look at some ruins, but then they get attacked by the mercenaries. And the fight is kind of cool, but also pretty horrible. Like, characters are not hitting the bad guys. They're missing all of their shots. The bad guys are missing their shots. And just everybody seems really ineffective. And they're trying to do cool dodges, but they look kind of stupid for for the most part, if I'm being perfectly honest, overall, the fight does not look good. The one part of the fight that I do like is the part where Riker, he's taking cover behind some rocks, but then I can't remember her name, but the leader of the mercenaries fires the rock and then it explodes and then Riker gets pushed back. And for some reason, I love when Riker gets pushed back or when he falls down, he makes a funny grunt. Same with Worf, but that's kind of a cool scene in that actual fight. But overall, everybody looks terrible. Riker's not hitting 
anyone. Jordy is looking awful. But then the worst part is the fact that Worf, head of security, fires and misses completely. And it is pretty awful and kind of embarrassing. I get it. And then there's, you know, there's another gold shark who's on his team who's also pretty bad and she keeps missing. So everybody just looks incredibly incompetent, except for the fact that the mercenaries are able to kill two gold shirts, I think, at the very beginning. And then they're actually able to capture Riker so the plot can progress. But the reason that the none of the good guys could hit the mercenaries is because, well, if they hit the mercenaries, that would prevent the plot from continuing. They would just beam the mercenaries up, put them in the brig, and interrogate them, and then find where Picard is, and the episode would be over, and you wouldn't have any of the fun of Gambit. So for the plot of Gambit to proceed, characters have to miss. And the same goes for the mercenaries. The mercenaries can only hit Riker because, well, part of the episode is Riker being captured by the mercenaries. It doesn't work with Worf being captured or or Jordy being captured, or some other nameless gold shirt. It has to be Riker. And this is just a problem that's really common throughout TNG and Voyager, where plots are predicated on the fact that the bad guy of the week has to get away or has to somehow evade security so that the plot can progress and then, you know, stuff can happen on the show as it's supposed to. So overall, that's why I think plot constraints really do have an impact on how phaser fights look. And there's one other element to the plot and the fact that certain people have to get away for plots to progress. Now, I want to bring in another show, NCIS Los Angeles. I love that series. I think it's amazing. I know it's not actually amazing because it is just prime procedural and those have a lot of flaws. I love the show. You probably don't like it because I don't know a lot of other people, especially my age, who are into that. But in NCIS LA specifically, they have a lot of the same things where they are dealing with a bad guy of the week. But the difference is the bad guy of the week has a bunch of goons. And the goons are just kind of nameless bad guys who are there to cause problems and are basically, you know, the minions for the for the bad guy, but aren't actually the big bad themselves. So a lot of times in episodes of NCIS LA, the team can go to a location, get into a firefight, take a bunch of nameless goons down, and maybe capture them, take them back to base, and interrogate them to find out some information so they can actually get the location of where this big bad is or what this big bad is actually up to. And so, yes, there is a requirement for them to to take out the goons, take them back, and and interrogate them. But because they're goons and because they're nameless, the NCIS LA team can take them down without impacting the plot. So by them taking down a random bad guy, it's not going to be like, okay, well, you just took down the main bad guy and you still have 25 minutes of episode, how are you going to fill it? No, it's not that case because, again, they just took down some of the random goons. And by having them look effective and taking down a bunch of random bad guys, they look like they are actually a very good team. And so you as the viewer are like, oh, wow, yeah, they know their stuff. They're really good with weapons. And again, because TNG and Voyager don't really deal with a lot of villains of the week who have goons, they can't fire at them and they can't take them down. So the plot continues. And because they keep missing, they just look ineffective. And then we as the viewer are kind of like, oof, why are you missing so many shots? Are you really trained? Like you're the head of security. You should be making all of those shots, not missing all the time. So there is a level of, oof, they're not super competent. 
So when you combine the necessity of the villain getting away with the fact that a lot of the villains in TNG and Voyager don't have goons or minions or whatever you want to call them, really do impact the quality of phaser fights. And I said that's only one reason. The second thing I want to talk about is the lack of technical consultant. And when I say technical consultant, I'm specifically referring to consultants that are there to provide information from a military and tactical perspective. So these are the consultants that will often show actors how to handle weapons, how to move appropriately in a tactical situation. So they look strategic and they look like they've been trained by the military as opposed to just going off and doing their own thing. So that's what I mean by technical consultants, because I know all of the shows do have a variety of different consultants who are there for different things. But TNG and Voyager didn't have any tactical consultants, I guess is a good way of putting it. And I don't have a lot of hardcore evidence to say that there was 100% no tactical consultants ever on Voyager or TNG, but I do have some information I think is pretty reliable. And that comes from the Delta Flyers podcast. And the Delta Flyers podcast is just amazing. It's a show hosted by Garrett Wong and Robert Duck McNeil, who of course play Harry Kim and Tom Paris, where they review episodes of Voyager and talk about behind the scenes. And the evidence specifically comes from the episode where they were reviewing Macrocosm, which is a season three Voyager episode. And that's the episode where Janeway and Neelix are coming back from a diplomatic mission and they board Voyager and realize that there's this crazy macro virus, which is just causing a bunch of problems. And so they have to take the virus down and save the day. And it's a good episode. I'd recommend watching it. It's, it's kind of fun. But specifically, McNeil mentions in the episode that Janeway's movements with the phaser were kind of silly. Like she wasn't holding it properly. She was moving it in a weird way. And she wasn't entering rooms in a tactical, strategic way that you might expect someone with military training to enter. And they were kind of teasing Kate for that. And they they were being nice about it, but they were kind of teasing her, which is understandable because it looked terrible when you watch the episode. It's kind of odd. But McNeil points out the reason for this challenge is because they didn't have anyone on the show to show them how to be holding their weapons and how to move in a tactical way. And that to me suggests that if Voyager didn't have anyone on the set showing them how to move and behave in a tactical way, then it's very likely that TNG also didn't have someone on the set doing the same things. This is just my assumption based on McNeil's comments in the Delta Flyers podcast, which I think is pretty credible since he is Tom Paris and he was on the show. And from what I understand with both Voyager and TNG and DS9 even, they did things pretty much the same way across all of the shows. Obviously, the shows are very different, but they have a lot of the same crew. And just their practices are very similar from like a behind-the-scenes filming technical perspective, if that, if that makes sense. So because Voyager didn't have anyone on the set doing that, it's very safe to assume that TNG also didn't have someone providing that insight and that expertise. The final reason I don't think phaser fights look that great in TNG and Voyager is the phaser itself. I love the look of the phaser. I think it's iconic. Anyone who sees it knows it's a phaser for the most part. I think you can pretty much take random people and be like, hey, what is this? And they'll go, oh, it's a phaser from Star Trek. They might not know exactly what series it's from or what specific episode, of course, or what type it is, but they'll know it's a phaser. 
I love the look of the phaser. I especially love the curved phaser that you see in Voyager late DSI episodes and then the TNG movies, with the exception of Generations and Nemesis. I think it looks great. But from a perspective of real life, it doesn't look like an actual weapon that you could see someone using. And I buy that it actually is a weapon because you see it all the time in all of the shows. But it is very much like, is that really a weapon? I guess, but it's not the most believable. Especially when you compare it to, again, DS9 when they get their phaser rifles and you look at Enterprise when they're using phase pistols and they also have their version of a phaser rifle, which is obviously a more primitive one. But because it doesn't look like a gun, actors can't hold it in the most convincing way to make it seem like it's a believable weapon. Yes, you can one-hand it and it works, but there's something that takes away from the realism when comparing it to a character who's holding a phaser rifle. Like if you look at Picard with his phaser rifle walking down the Enterprise hallway in first contact, he looks badass. He looks like someone who's going to cause some trouble for the Borg. It's like you do not want to mess a dude in a muscle shirt who's toned with a phaser rifle. Okay, you just don't want to do that because you would feel like, oof, he's going to take me out. Same with Cisco when he's walking around with his phaser rifle. He's bald. He's got the cool goatee. He's also not not wearing a muscle shirt, but he is wearing like the more relaxed, like I'm taking off my jacket part of the uniform, so you know I mean business. So there's something really intimidating about the way that they're holding it. And again, because they're holding a realistic looking weapon, at least more realistic than a phaser, you buy that, oh, that, that is a weapon right there. That looks like a really hardcore gun that I do not want to mess with. Same with Enterprise. You had the phase pistols that already look like guns, and then you have their version of phaser rifles. Combine that with the fact that Malcolm looks more tactical than, say, your average officer in TNG and Voyager. And again, that's probably because they actually have more training. But overall, they look and hold it more like an actual weapon. So you buy it more. You buy the fact that, oh, these are real people using real laser guns, even though they're not laser guns. I know they're phasers, but laser guns for, you know, that's what they are. They're shooting lasers, essentially, even though I know it's a phaser. This is a bit of a tension. But because they look like realistic weapons, and characters are able to hold them in a realistic way, it looks more convincing. So when you actually get a character in a phaser fight that's holding either a phaser rifle or holding a phase pistol, it looks more convincing and looks more realistic than when characters are holding your average phaser. Those are just my potential explanations as to why I don't think phaser fights in TNG or Voyager look that great. Of course, I could be completely wrong, but I'm fairly confident. And now... Let's move into this week's section of, wait, what did you say? And for this week, because I've been talking about phasers for the last 20 minutes, I thought it would make sense to do some technobabble that involves phasers. But I want to do something a little bit different and pick technobabble that actually relates to phasers saving a planet as opposed to causing destruction. So I picked the episode Inheritance, and that's the one where Data meets his mom and they have to save a planet. The scene that I want to discuss takes place in the meeting lounge and is actually the first scene in the episode. And Juliana, Data's mom, and her husband Pran are there. And of course, the usual characters are there. And they're all talking about the situation. Here it is. 
Captain, our situation has worsened since my husband and I first contacted you. The molten core of the planet is not just cooling, it's begun to solidify. Our gravitational field has been affected. Seismic activity has increased by a factor of three. If the cooling continues at this rate, a tree will become uninhabitable in 13 months. We could minimize seismic activity by creating isobaric fissures and relieving some of the tectonic stress, but that would just be a temporary fix. The only permanent solution would be to reliquify the core. These pockets in the Mekma layer, how close are they to the molten region of the core? A few kilometers, why? Data, do you think that's close enough for a ferroplasmic infusion? The procedure will involve using the ship's phasers to drill down through the planet's surface into the pockets where we'd set up a series of plasma infusion units. We'll trigger the units by firing a modulated energy burst down through the shafts. I see. Injecting sufficient plasma directly into the core should trigger a chain reaction. That will reliquify the magma. It should be possible to stabilize the core temperature at 93% of normal. If it works, the core would remain molten for centuries. And I love all the technobabble in this scene because it's extreme, of course, because it's Star Trek, and this is what I love about technobabble, that it's crazy. But I love the idea that they're using the phasers to not blow something up, but instead to save an entire planet. And to me, it's amazing that they can just fire off some phasers, send in some plasma infusion units, and then that'll restart the core and the planet will be saved. Like that to me is so crazy. And I know it's unbelievable and not realistic in our lifetime, but who knows, maybe it could be. But to me, it's just so interesting to hear them use phasers in that way. I also love the fact that it's very much like the movie The Core, except in that it's a lot more extreme and there's a lot more problems. But again, it's simply cool that, yeah, you can just fire off some phasers and boom, you've saved the entire planet. And this happens a lot in Star Trek where the Enterprise or even Voyager in some episodes will come across the planet, the planet is dying, and there's some natural disaster, and then they'll whip off their phasers or torpedoes or do something, and then that'll basically save the planet and prevent everyone from dying, which is really cool. And it's very productive, and I just love, again, the fact that it's the phasers being used in a way that's not blowing something up, but instead is preserving life, which is obviously is what they usually do when they fire at something in the show. But overall, I love the Technobabble. It's very cool. Highly recommend watching the episode if you haven't seen it before, and if you have, definitely consider re-watching it. But what about you? Do you buy my potential explanations as to why phaser fights in TNG and Voyager don't look that great? Or do you think I'm completely off base and need different theories? Or do you even think that the phaser fights in TNG and Voyager look that bad? Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Also, let me know what you liked about the episode, what you didn't like, and let me know what you like about the show and what you're not liking, because ultimately, I want to make a show that you enjoy. And in the paraphrased words of Captain Kirk, I shall see you out there. That away.